It is that time once again, ladies and gentlemen, to talk about the next pay-per-view, which is Crown Jewel. Here are the matches for Crown Jewel and the predictions for Crown Jewel, which is set to happen tomorrow afternoon at 12 p.m. Let's start off with the fun aspect of Crown Jewel and the biggest part of Crown Jewel that is going to be fun to watch so we can see how it ends. And then we'll get into some of the non-storyline-based matches, the ones that are just kind of put together to fill everything out. We'll get to all these matches and give you guys all of the backstories to these matches in just a few. Well, ladies and gents, it is time for you guys to get into it, okay? We want to make sure that we enjoy Crown Jewel if you can watch it. You might have to watch it later on in the replay on the Peacock Network. That is the only place that you will be able to watch Crown Jewel unless you decide to pay for it on the pay-per-view for cable, which is going to be pretty pricey, but live your best life, whichever way you decide to watch it. Unless you're on, you know, Canada or on the other side of the pond where you can actually still utilize the WWE Network to watch the pay-per-view. With all that being said, let's get into these matches and let's get into these predictions. Now, the biggest storyline of Crown Jewel and probably the most fun, the most, the one that everybody's invested in is Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns, a.k.a. Nino Brown and the CMB, okay? Now, let's get into this. We know that Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns have a very storied past. Now, for a long time, and Roman was not able to best the beast until he was able to overcome that mountain and finally defeat Brock Lesnar some years back. And of course, Roman has changed and come into a new groove, and the emperor is not about to let this peasant take over his, his playground okay so nino brown has made it very clear that he does not fear the beast now the biggest point of contingency for the beast and nino brown is their little old wife pauline okay pauline been causing a lot of havoc and he's been doing kind of intentionally and unintentionally. Now, we all know that Pauline was Brock Lesnar's wife first. And he was, you know, making all the matches for him, making sure his shit was in order for him, giving him all the good tea. And then when Brock Lesnar decided to sat down for a little bit after he got beat by Drew McIntyre, you know, Pauline was like, I need a new toy. So maybe Nino Brown could come over and I could kind of play with him a little bit, <laughs> which he did. He ended up ushering in the era of the tribal chief, okay? The villainous, the biggest villain and the villainous of the villainous is Roman Reigns. He is ruthless. He is brutal and he has no remorse for his enemies and he plows through each and every opponent effortlessly with no pushback or give. Roman is like a knife through warm butter when it comes to every single opponent he faces. He shows no fear. He has absolutely no remorse for how he wins. And whether he has to cheat, lie, and steal, a la Eddie Guerrero, rest in peace, my big guy, 
Roman will do whatever it takes to stay on top of that mountain, including sacrificing his own cousins to the beast himself. Now, as I said, Ro Roman's been running around with Pauline for the last year and been doing very good business. But things started to change around SummerSlam when Brock Lesnar just decided to reemerge in his new Lego Goro ponytail <laughs> and his well-toned body. I ain't gonna lie. The man looked good. Roman was a little perturbed, like, hey, you're supposed to know these things. Like, why did you not know, Pauline, that he was coming back? And Pauline said, I had no clue. I swear, I didn't know. But, oh, when you lie, my guy, it comes out in the wash, as my mama would say. <laughs> and Brock Lesnar waited until Madison Square Garden, I believe it was, to tell everybody that Paulie did know that he was coming back because he talked to him. And he's talked to him on a consistent basis. And while Roman was absolutely livid, Lego Goro decided to make a challenge of his own. He told Paul Heyman before he would get fired from being the tribal chief's liaison, the wise man, the consult for the tribal chief. He told him to make the match so that he could challenge Roman for that WWE Universal Championship and almost F5 the big man. But the tribal chief came in and saved his hind parts. And now we have been left with a bag of emotions. Who's telling the truth? Is it Pauline who's been caught in lie after lie after lie? Or is it Lego Goro just coming in like the typical ex-wife would still got a lot of feelings and still want her man but no, he keep cheating? Is it Lego Goro who keeps stirring the pot on purpose because he's toxic and he loves toxicity? I guess we'll just have to wait and see at Crown Jewel. Now, all of this has come to a head. Every single week, we get a new little chip of information in this saga of Pauline, his ex-wife, Lego Goro, and his new wife, Nino Brown. Now, Pauline been getting caught. Every time you see him, he on the phone with Lego Goro. Hey, baby, I got you. Don't worry about it. It's going to be all right. And every time you see him, the Usos are asking, hey, you knew about this stuff, didn't you? You left Roman out in the cold. And every time Brock Lesnar gets a chance, he's one up in the ante. He made it very clear on draft night that he was a free agent and he could go and do as he pleased. Thanks to good old Pauline. Roman was highly upset. One, because his cousins wasn't drafted to SmackDown the same night as him. And two, because... His consult, his liaison is not up on the information. Meanwhile, you double back again to the next Friday night. Brock Lesnar pops up again and makes it very, very clear that the only reason why he signed this contract without looking at it is because that earlier that morning, Paul Heyman went over the contract with him and made sure that it was in order. That, of course, set off fucking alarm bells. And everybody is sitting in the arena like, oh, shit. 
And of course, Roman is left with egg on his face once again. Meanwhile, Brock Lesnar walked away scot-free, looking like the toxic ex that he is. So I ask you once again, who do you believe? Do you believe good old Pauline who continues to lie, lie, and lie some more? Or do you believe Lego Goro who continues to consistently tell you the truth somewhat and then leave? He likes to drop bombs and then walk away. It's very interesting. Well, it depends on whose side you're on. If you're on Nino Brown's side, then you would expect that things are going to go his way 100% without a hitch, whether he wins clean or not. If you're on Lego Goro's side, then you're going to expect the beast, Brock Lesnar, to be your next universal champion. But the way that WWE works, I don't see that happening. What I see is Paul Heyman has to prove that he is all for the tribal chief and the ones. He wants to be a part of the concomitant. He wants to be a part of the family. And you can't be a part of the family if you keep stepping outside the game. So, how do you prove yourself to the tribal chief? The only way that he is going to be able to save face and prove that he is loyal to Nino Brown is to cost Brock Lesnar that championship match at Crown Jewel, which I suspect is what's going to happen. My prediction for Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar will lose to the Tribal Chief and Roman Reigns will retain the Universal Championship. And that will be the last time he'll defend that title until day one in January. So what do you guys think about the love triangle between Pauline, Nino Brown, and Lego Goro? Make sure you hit us up on Twitter and let me know what you think. Let's move on to the next storyline, the one that's got the best story. Moving on to the triple threat, SmackDown Women's Championship match. Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair versus Becky Lynch. Now, this has a bit of a convoluted tale, so I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. But Bianca Belair started out this year at the top of her game. She was one of the most sought-after superstars in the industry, winning at WrestleMania over one of the biggest stars in the world, Sasha Banks, and setting history, becoming the first or one of the first black women to headline WrestleMania ever in history and to main event it just to have that slot. She also won an SP this year alongside Sasha Banks and was obviously widely popular across the WWE universe. And then we have Becky Lynch, who last year was pregnant and ended up leaving due to her pregnancy to have her beautiful daughter, Rue. She recently got married to Seth Rollins, and then she came back in epic fashion at SummerSlam, which I'll get to in a minute. And then we have the ever- ever consistent Sasha Banks, one of the most decorated superstars in WWE history, one of the most recognizable, one of the most popular, and definitely a main eventer at all faults. So these three women are entangled in this championship bout, but there are a couple of variables that are taking this to a level of What is going on here? 
Let me explain. Both Becky and Bianca have both been drafted to Monday Night Raw. Sasha Banks was drafted to SmackDown. Now, if we go by just how they were drafted, you would imagine that Sasha would be the one to win, right? It would appear that way. But something tells me that nothing in this match is going to be that simple. Let me lay the story out for you so you can see how it got so tangled up in the first place. As I said, Bianca Belair was on a very, very big role this year. Being champion, defeating Bayley several times over in epic matches. And in her very first Hell in a Cell, she beat Bayley. We all know Bayley's 0-2 in Hell in a Cell. As was Sasha. Isn't that weird? Anyway, <laughs> then you had, of course, Sasha Banks returns after months of being out after WrestleMania. She returns and stakes her claim to the championship. And of course, we all waited in with bated breath for that Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair part two at Wrestle at SummerSlam, excuse me. Well, Sasha was injured and was not cleared to compete. So to replace Sasha Banks, they had an epic return for Becky Lynch. Now, Becky Lynch, of course, is a former two-time women's champion, longest reigning Raw Women's Champion, and she was the inaugural SmackDown Women's Champion. So she's no slouch. She came back in epic fashion, took out Carmella, who was the initial replacement, and made it very clear that she wanted to tear the house down in Vegas with Bianca, and Bianca accepted the challenge. But she didn't realize that her storied fairy tale championship reign was going to end with a rock bottom in 26 seconds, a weak rock bottom at that. And then we have the change. Big time Bex came out and all we got was, I'll defend the title when I please. I'm not going to defend it against Bianca. And Bianca had to get back into the groove of challenging. And every chance they got, they threw a damn Lego, a fucking brick, a damn wall, and anything else they could think of to block Bianca from possibly getting that title back. That woman clawed, and she fought, and she worked her way back into that title picture. Winning a fatal four-way on SmackDown with Liv and her in the finals. And she was able to officially challenge Becky for that that championship. Bianca was able to challenge Becky at Extreme Rules. And for the most part, it was going in Bianca's favor. But, oh, God, we thank you. Because Little Boy Blue was not to be outdone by Becca and Bianca. She decided to run down at the end of the match, cost back Bianca her possible win, and then end up taking out Becky at the same time. So now we're stuck embroiled in this triple threat. With two massive egos, Becky Lynch running around thinking she's the next thing since God. And then you have Sasha Banks with no rhythm, blue hair, and a lot of fake laughs. And then in the middle, you have Bianca Belair. What do you do? Who should win? My prediction is I'm going to go with my heart. I want Bianca Belair to retain that championship. Now, I'll get it back, rather. 
Now, is it possible that she could lose it? Yes. And they could end up making it so that she has to continue this uphill battle. For whatever reason, WWE likes a good underdog situation. One would hope that they don't go that route. Seeing how we just had a banger of a match on Monday night with Bianca and Charlotte Flair, who was also entangled in this for whatever reason. It was a light entanglement, but it was too much for you to ignore. Charlotte Flair and Bianca have magic in that ring. When they're in there together, it's always coming down to the last move to decide who is going to win. So, the match at Crown Jewel determines what kind of match we'll get at Survivor Series. But it also leaves a question hanging in the balance. With Charlotte Flair still your current Raw Women's Champion signed to SmackDown as a champion, as a as a wrestler, and with that SmackDown Women's Championship hanging in the balance and no women's champion on Raw currently, one would have to ask what is going on here and what's going to happen. And that finally is a story that we all can get behind. They did something right. They made it so the story wasn't super predictable. And that's all that we asked for, is not to have predictability, but to have greatness And this match definitely can give you greatness. Now, I do think that it being in Radia is a bit much. With the people in Radia not being too respectful of the women when they come out. We all saw a few years back when Lacey Evans and Natalya were wrestling. Some of the men threw bottles at the women as they came down there to wrestle. Let's hope this year they're a little bit more respectful, seeing as how they did request to have wrestlers come to their city to wrestle. We shall see what the women are capable of pulling out, but we all know that these three women are combustible, and this is going to be probably one of the best matches, if not the best match of the night. So we shall see who will will out, And who will go on to move into Survivor Series to challenge Charlotte Flair to determine who is the leader of WWE and who owns the brand. I'm going to stick with my pick of Bianca Belair. Let's move on to the next story, shall we? Time to take a little breather. Because this story isn't exactly as great as the others. But it's simple and it was put together rather quickly. We got a glimpse of Drew McIntyre challenging Big E for that WWE Championship. Now, for a year, we've been terrorized by RoboCop as the champion, and I, quite frankly, could not have picked a better person to take that title off of Booby Lashley. Now, I love me some Big E. He is one of my favorites, and I absolutely adore him in so many different ways. So watching him walk around with that WWE championship really makes my heart smile. But I cannot deny that I love Drew McIntyre too. I don't know. He just does something to me. (laughs) Plus, he's easy to look at, as is Big E. And they both have amazing personalities in and outside of the ring. So my question is, who do you choose? Is it Big E? The first time ever WWE champion, the guy who put in so much work, 11-time tag team champion with the New Day, and just all-around amazing competitor, 
guy. He's funny. He can be serious. He has it all. Or do you pick the Scottish psychopath who really hasn't been the Scottish psychopath lately, but I feel like within the next couple of weeks, that's all going to change. I'm going to go with Big E. It makes no sense to drop the title to Drew McIntyre, although I wouldn't be mad if Drew got it because I love Drew. And I wouldn't be mad if um, Big E retained because I love Big E. So in my mind, I just get to watch two of my favorite wrestlers wrestle each other and made the best man win. And in my mind, the best man on this occasion is going to be Big E. So we're going to move on to another match, a more simpler match. This is going to be Mansoor versus Mustafa Ali. Now, I was under the impression that Mansoor was going to be tag teaming with Ali and they would possibly win the Raw Tag Team Championships in Radia, right? At the Saudi show. I was sure of it. Because Mansoor is undefeated in Saudi. And of course, that is his hometown. But that's not exactly what happened. Mansoor and Ali's tag team broke down. And it was more on Ali's head than it was Mansoor. Ali was just trying to be the one who runs the show. And wasn't really taking into account that Mansoor is his own man. And he can do what is necessary to compete. He also felt like that Mansoor was too lackadaisical and he was constantly laughing and joking and just happy to be there and wasn't focusing on the task at hand. But in this case, Mansoor wasn't the one who was always eating the pin. 90% of the time, it was Ali. He was the one who could not maintain the match. It would always break down with him and his anger and frustration was taken out on Mansoor unfairly and unjustly. So the final aspect of their bout came to a head a few weeks ago. They were having a match, and I can't necessarily remember who it was against. I believe it was against the Hurt Business, Cedric and Shelton Benjamin. In this match, Ali ended up being the legal man, and Mansoor was taken out on the outside. Ali got pinned, one, two, three, by Cedric. They ran out and went where they were going. And Mansoor was left in the ring trying to comfort his friend. Or so he thought. Ali pushed him away and yelled at him, pretty much berated him. And it got into the back and it got even worse. He called him a loser, said he was worthless. And everything he could think of to diminish Mansoor, he did. Nothing short of beating the hell out of him. It was really sad. Mansoor seemed to be genuinely hurt by Ali. Now, following that next week, Mansoor had a match. And he ended up winning that match in a very good way. Had a nice DDT, I believe it was, off the top rope. It was very pretty. Very nice. I was like, go Mansoor. All right. And he seemed to be in good spirits. And then Ali came out and decided to berate Mansoor once again. Calling him a loser, saying he was stupid and he couldn't wait to slap the taste out of his mouth in his own hometown. And Mansoor got some balls. <laughs> it was like, do it look like I'm smiling right now? I will see you at Saudi. And then he said it in his own native tongue and Ali was shooketh, as was I. Because I said, I didn't know that Mansoor had that depth of voice. I didn't know he had that much bass. 
And I was like, sir, <laughs> we need this mansoor all the time, okay? This mansoor is invited to the cookout, okay? Now, the other mansoor can come too because he real happy-go-lucky. But this one <laughs> might get you some coochie. I'm just saying. <laughs> but anyway, you have mansoor versus Ali. And honestly, Mansoor's going to win. And Ali's going to eat the pin. I mean, there's just no way that he won't. We're going to move on to the next match. The one that I'm actually not as much interested in as everybody else. This match is the Raw Tag Team Championship. AJ Styles and Omos versus RK Bro. Now, as much as I enjoy Randy Orton and as much as I enjoy watching AJ Styles wrestle... I am not keen on this particular match. I could care less. They're going to Saudi, and I feel like they could have picked somebody else for them to go up against. There were plenty of tag teams, and as I said, they could have kept Mansoor and Ali together to go up against RK-Bro, and they could have been a pseudo-heel team, and they could have won the titles at Saudi. But they could decided to double back and continue this feud between Styles, Omos, Randy Orton and Riddle. My prediction is that Orton and um, Riddle are going to retain those titles. It makes no sense to drop the titles back to AJ Styles and Omos. I can't stand Omos. I don't think he can wrestle. And I really, really dislike him being in the ring with AJ Styles. But it is what it is. And you guys can argue with your mama about the match if you want to. I don't care. <laughs> Let's move on to something else. The King of the Ring tournament finals are going to happen at Saudi. And this right here is probably going to be the most interesting piece of the Saudi show. So, Xavier Woods, who's been running around for years yelling and screaming about the King of the Ring tournament and how he wants to be the king. And then on the other side, you have Finn Balor, Probably one of the most athletically gifted and talented wrestlers in all of the of the business. Not just WWE, but the business as a whole. The pageantry of both men is obviously there. And they are always willing to put on a good show. But this is about being the king of the ring. The numero uno. The one who towers and reigns over all of WWE. So who do you choose? Do you choose the guy who's been abdicating for King of the Ring for the last two years? Or do you choose the guy who has the charisma, the nerve, and the gumption to be the king and wear that moniker with pride? I'm going to go with the guy who's been campaigning for two years. Xavier Woods has earned the opportunity to be King of the Ring. He has did, done more for WWE in his entire career than most superstars do, even with their heavy title reigns and their massive bookings. He has garnered a following outside of WWE that amasses millions of followers and millions of people recognize superstars solely based on the fact that he has this massive channel on YouTube. Not to mention his wrestling is beyond great and he is able to hang in the ring with the best of them. Xavier is severely slept on and I would be hella surprised if he doesn't win and beat Finn Balor to become king of the ring. 
But on the other side, I also can understand giving Prince DeWitt that champion, that championship moniker, that that genesequa, as they call it. Balor is of <laughs> Balor is one of those guys who you can look at him and just be like, yeah, I can consider him a king. He wrestles like he's fighting for his life every time he gets in that ring. It's effortless and it's flawless. He has charisma. He's got swag. And he just has a way of speaking that captivates you. No matter who he's going against or what he's doing, you want to see what's going to happen simply because he's there. He has an aura that is unmatched. And there aren't many superstars who can draw people in just by looking at them. And he's one of those people. I'm torn. But I want Xavier to get that. I want him to get that king of the ring. I feel like he's earned it. Balor has earned it as well. But Balor has had many championship reigns across WWE from NXT to the WWE Universal Championship to the IC Championship. Balor is not remiss of titles. But Xavier's kind of been pigeonholed in this New Day championship reign. And although it has helped build his career and solidify his livelihood, it hasn't really given Xavier the opportunity or the chance to stand out the way that I know he can. So I'm going to place my bet and my prediction on Xavier Woods being your new reigning king of the ring. Thank God, because we're so sick of, of, not Balor, but Corbin. We're sick of Corbin. Now he's happy Corbin. And quite frankly, I'd rather he go back to being the lone wolf because that madcap, Riddick is a goddamn fool, and I ain't never seen somebody with cornier dad jokes than most white dad jokes, okay? He is corny. He is the bottom of the barrel corny. Let me move on before I start going off on his mush mouth ass. Let me, let me, let me go to the next match. The Queen's Crown Tournament Final. <laughs> now, let me just make this clear. WWE, you know you own some motherfucking bullshit with this Queen's Crown Tournament. Now, I don't know why you decided to set this shit up and it be so lazy, so lackadaisical, and so predictable. You had, you gave us the worst lineup of superstars in the women's division you could find. All because you decided to overload the SmackDown Women's Championship match when you could have had Charlotte entangled in this damn queen's crown. She shouldn't have won it, but she definitely should have been in it. And you, you leave her out. You, you, <laughs> I just want to understand where your mind is when you come up with the Queen's Crown Tournament. And the best thing you can come up with is to have Zelina Vega wrestle Carmella in the semifinals and her to win because Liv Morgan costs her her opportunity. Not to mention Liv Morgan losing to Carmella, knowing that she's beat Carmella multiple times. Then on the other side, you have Dana Brooke, who we haven't seen in weeks, and you decided to give her a bone by having her have a match with Shayna Baszler. And then you had Dewdrop come out there, which you made it very obvious that at some point, Dewdrop and Shayna were going to have a battle, which they ended up doing in the damn tournament. And then Piper beat Shayna Baszler. And now it's going to be 
Piper Nevin, a.k.a. Dewdrop, versus Zelina Vega for the Queen's Crown. Take a wild stab at who's going to be the new queen of WWE. Just, just a guess. Now, while I don't hate Zelina Vega, and I'm happy that she's back, I didn't think they needed to structure this goddamn tournament so lackadaisical. And then, on top of that, you didn't really do much with the tournament like you did with the men. The men had true bouts. They had true challenges. They had real fights. Cesaro and Prince and Prince Balor were out there getting it in. Like, it really was disheartening to watch this Queen's Crown tournament. And it just feels like you are regressing on the women's division. And I need you to pick up your pace. You've had your foot on the gas for the last five years. We've been seeing great things. And now all of a sudden, you want to let up the gas and start going back to these bullshit matches. And we're not here for that. We want to see real shit. Not to mention you kept Naomi out of that tournament to further this goddamn feud with her and Sonya, which you could have done it by putting her in the tournament. I don't give a shit who wins this queen's crown. It's a bullshit tournament. You didn't have any effort into it. And I feel like you're insulting me by even doing it in the first goddamn place. Get it together, WWE. Get it together. Let's move on to the next bout. No holds barred match between Bobby Lashley and Goldberg. Now this is a feud that stems back all the way to SummerSlam. Goldberg was challenging good old RoboCop for his WWE Championship. And at the time, Goldberg looked like he was going to beat him. But of course, Pastor Porter had to involve himself with his cane and ended up hitting Goldberg in the leg, which took him out. He could not continue to wrestle, and therefore, the match was deemed over. Bobby Lashley wins. Blood in the streets. He decides to beat the hell out of Goldberg and take a chair to his knee over and over and over again. While his son Gage was on the outside watching, he couldn't stand by anymore and watch his father be beat down by this big old man. So what did he do? He jumped in the ring and jumped on Bobby's back. And Bobby dropped the boy initially, claiming he didn't know who he was. For him to be such a massive man, he was very, very, uh, he's not aware of his surroundings or who's around him. And he doesn't understand weight either. I don't understand how you can mistake him for a grown man. Gage barely looked like he hit 200 pounds. So I doubt that he weighed that much on Bobby Lashley's back. But I digress. Bobby Lashley decided to drop the kid on the ground. And this is where things get fucking weird. He decides to put the kid in the hurt lock, a.k.a. a full Nelson. Now, he... Then later on explains that it was an accident, that he was just acting out of reaction and emotion. But I beg to differ. You got eyes, bitch. You can see very well. You saw that he was his son when you dropped him on the ground and then you put him in the hurt locker. So that's 
a bullshit excuse as to why you put that kid in the hurt lock. So, of course, most people, if you're following the story and not tearing it apart like some jackass, you're going to say, well, Goldberg is justified for wanting to tear Bobby Lashley's ass apart. And I, for one, am not mad at him for it. And if he can do it, get it done. (laughs) Bobby Lashley tried to utilize his hurt business colleagues to take Goldberg out, but it didn't work out. And they had an interview on Monday Night Raw where they decided to keep the combustible elements separate and go ahead and let them speak. And Goldberg has said it many times and he's going to continue to say it. He said, I am going to murder Bobby Lashley. I'm going to make him pay for what he did to my son. And Bobby Lashley said, what you're saying is not only unprofessional, it's reprehensible. It's criminal. Well, Bobby, I mean, you can't be on your little high horse. I mean, haven't you used the words destroy, massacre, terror, rip apart? Those all are pseudonyms for murder. But, you know. Who am I? Just a lowly wrestling fan watching your boring ass on TV. And quite frankly, I'm bored with this storyline, but I'm going to give it to you straight. Goldberg is going to win at Crown Jewel. If he doesn't, I won't be shocked, nor will I care. I want this feud to be over because then I want them to see what they're going to do with Bobby Lashley. Everyone keeps telling me how great Bobby Lashley is, but really all I see is a one-trick pony. And what I see when I watch him and Goldberg wrestle are two sides of the same coin. But nobody wants to have that conversation. So we're going to move on to probably the most emotional match of the night outside of Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. This It's the final bout between Seth Rollins and Edge. Now, this all started seven years ago, as I've explained many times before. Seth Rollins had made many attempts to bring back the authority, and it wasn't working. And the only way he could move the needle and force John Cena's hand was to attack Edge and threaten to take out his neck. And of course, John Cena, being the ever-loving face that he has always been, he obliged This set off a a leg of events that led to this year's battle between Seth Rollins and Edge. The first bout between Edge and Seth, Edge won clean, fair and square. The second bout between Edge and Seth didn't go over so easily. It was recent at Madison Square Garden, and Edge ended up taking a curb stomp from Seth after he cheated knowing that he couldn't beat the man he decided to go a step further to try to end his career he was stretchered out of Madison Square Garden and everybody of course was worried and concerned Edge for about two maybe three weeks was out no one talked to him the only thing they knew was that he was not medically cleared to compete Meanwhile, Seth Rollins was gloating every single week about how he took out the ultimate opportunist and that he's not edge light and that he's his own man. And he's Seth freaking Rollins. Well, Edge decided to show up once he was medically cleared after Seth called him out again and again and again. He showed up on SmackDown, but Seth didn't. Seth decided to go to Edge's house. 
We ain't talking about no house that they just decided to buy and rent out for the week. Oh, no. They went to Edge's real house. The man walked in the house, put his feet up on his table, drank his orange juice, talked shit about his kids' drawings, and went into his den, dropped the apple on his floor, and was rolling around all on his bed. You ever seen the TV show South Park? Where Cartman is rolling around in, in money and he's just like, oh, cow's money. That's kind of what it looked like and what it reminded me of. And it was very much disrespectful. <laughs> the following week, Edge was nowhere to be found once again. And Seth Rollins decided he was going to come out and gloat again. That, of course pissed off the rated r superstar he was already pissed because seth rollins violated the sanctity of his home he claims that he's not edge light but that was very much a page out of edge's book edge did the very same thing to john cena some years ago went to his house sat on his couch talked about his dad went in his room did all types of dirty shit in his house and that pissed john cena off to the extent that John Cena attacked Edge, I believe he threw his belt in the harbor, and they ended up having that final battle at Toronto. I think it was in Canada, and it was a ladder match, and he ended up winning. Now the tables have turned. It's funny how karma comes back around to bite you in your ass. All of the shit that Edge used to do back in the day has come back on him tenfold, and this time he's the one with the family. And Edge is not taking it lightly. He decided to attack Seth Rollins and he made a challenge. Yes, we are going to wrestle in Saudi, but it is not going to be a simple one, two, three match. We're going to be inside hell in a cell. Now, Seth Rollins looked to be a little bit afraid of the fact that he was going back inside the hellacious structure. We all know what happened the last time he was in that structure. And some people, it went over their heads and they were a little bit too, um, they were a little bit too pissed about the finish. As were some of the wrestlers who competed in that match. They didn't like the finish either. However, I believe that it'll be appreciated later on down the line. But, I digress. Now, this prior week to this crown jewel... Seth Rollins made it very clear he doesn't fear Edge nor the structure and that he's going to put Edge out to pasture. Edge also made a statement and made it very clear that he was going to tear Seth Rollins limb from limb. So who do you choose? Do you choose the ever confident and always cackling Seth Rollins or do you go with the oldie but goldie, the veteran, Edge, the ultimate opportunist. I'm going to go with Edge on this one. As much as I think Seth Rollins can very much beat Edge, I don't think that it would work out in his favor to beat him. The best thing to do is to have Edge beat Seth Rollins, and this should take Seth Rollins over the edge mentally. And we should see his descent. Right there inside the structure. I mean, that's where it all started anyway. You guys let me know. Twitter's always the place. 
So let me know what you think on Twitter or Instagram and, of course, on the voice messenger. Now, they do have a kickoff match. It's going to be the Usos versus Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. I'm not really concerned with this match, but if you are, my pick is going to be the Usos, of course. And that is Crown Jewel, ladies and gentlemen. So who do you pick? Which side are you on? All of the matches have been laid out. And my predictions are set. Tried to give you as much story for each match as possible. But, yeah. (laughs) It's Crown Jewel, ladies and gentlemen. Crown Jewel is set to debut at 12 p.m. tomorrow. And I hope you guys who can watch it enjoy the program. And those of you who can't, there's always a replay on Peacock. So, no worries. And I hope that this pay-per-view is decent. Because it's going to be the last pay-per-view we see until Survivor Series. And even after Survivor Series, there is no December pay-per-view. We also are going to be taking a break after Survivor Series. It's our yearly break. We take a break until January and restart the podcast then. Now, unless something really popular and massive happens during that time, the girls and I will not be posting any more podcasts this year. So I hope you guys enjoy the next couple of row sessions that are coming up. And of course, Alexis is supposed to be giving you guys some more good What Had Happened Was podcasts. So don't worry, that stuff is coming. And I'll see you guys in our next one. Follow us on our Instagram at D4TC underscore podcast. Or you can always follow us on Twitter where we do all our postings at Down for the Count 19. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Bye.